I-94 is presented by Pilsen Community Books. More information is at pilsencommunitybooks.org. I-94 on Lumpen Radio. Hey, happy Sunday, everybody. We're coming to you live, as always, from Studio B right here in beautiful downtown Bridgeport. This is I-94. Today, we are joined by the author of a new book out from the University of Chicago Press. It's called Conspiracy of Conspiracies, How Delusions Have Overrun America. Thomas Milan Conde. Tom, are you with us today? I am, yeah. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we'd like to talk, uh, first of all, we're going to get into uh, your book, which is out, by the way, uh, from the University of Chicago Press right down the street. It is an overview of conspiracy theories, both modern and historic. And, Tom, you start the book off talking a little bit about what a conspiracy theory is. Can you kind of take us through, because it's an unusual definition that maybe doesn't dovetail with at least what I was thinking when I started reading the book about what a conspiracy theory might be. Yes, I can. Um the thing to concentrate on, I think, that takes people by surprise is the degree to which you have to think of it as actually a theory. And people will quibble about this because they'll say it's not truly a theory, it's not falsifiable, it's not a scientific theory. Uh, but nevertheless, it has to be some sort of large-scale uh, quasi-theory involved Otherwise, you simply have a simple conspiracy, uh, maybe an accusation of a conspiracy, maybe a real conspiracy. It doesn't really matter. The thing that makes it a big deal is some sort of alternative narrative, some sort of even alternative history that people approach something with so that they see uh, an entire story behind an event that is conspiratorial. I don't know if that helps a lot or not. Well, I, th- I think maybe something to, to focus on from the book is uh, where you talk about the moon landing conspiracy and how that um, veered away a little bit from um, how conspiracy theories were traditionally formed. It did, uh, because it was just a, a completely ad hoc sort of thing. It was not particularly ideological. It, was, it, it didn't adhere to any of the previously established uh, tropes or themes of conspiracy theory. And it was really one of the earliest uh, types of conspiracy theory that just grew out of uh, denial of reality, just a simple denialism, uh, where somebody refuses to accept that this happened and by virtue of refusing to accept it, has to create some sort of other story. Well, it, it should be said that it, it's not just like, um, at least in this case, it wasn't just some hoo-ha out of nowhere who knew nothing about astronomy or, or physics that, that made the claim. It was, it was, a, it was a pretty well-renowned, um, I don't know if he was a physicist or scientist who was making the claim. He's, he pointed to specific things in the in the moon landing video, like there was no blast radius, uh, the flag was waving, and even though there's no atmospheric pressure in the moon. You know, they're, they're they were they're intriguing to the layman, I guess. The explanations, even though what's weird about it is that there's no um, there's no real reason behind it. You know, a lot of the the conspiracies you talked about. Like around the French Revolution, like the Illuminati, there was a plan that was being hatched behind the scenes for to to alter the the course of the world. The moon landing, it was just it, it was like a practical joke. Right. It was it was billed as a hoax, really, by the by the earliest people who were were touting that and. Uh, uh, there, you're right. There, there was no deeper agenda than that. It was, as far as I'm concerned, largely a sort of just a money-making opportunity. That makes sense. 
I, I just wanted to mention a, a conspiracy theory that I, I had uh, – while I was doing research for the show, I you know, we had your book, and I, I looked at some other things. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but do you, did you know there's a conspiracy theory that if you um, put the entire text of Moby Dick into a giant rectangle, <laughs> it uh, predicted not only the assassination of Martin Luther King but also the lyrics to Ice Ice Baby? That doesn't – that makes – What? Yeah, that's one of the. It's a. It's an actual. Uh, uh, f- it's a. It's a conspiracy that's available well online. <laughs> well, well, what <laughs> do you mean by put it into a giant rectangle? Conspiracy. What's that? Why is that a conspiracy? Well, because it. Uh, they said that it predicted uh, MLK's assassination. And yeah. It's more like a like a prophecy, not necessarily. Yeah, I would I would put that more on the lines of prophecy, not necessarily conspiracy theory. And that that's an interesting point because I think in your book, Tom, you kind of break down the difference between um what I think I would call internet memes, uh, which you do talk about in the back of the book, uh, but also actionable conspiracies that have had real world effects, such as Pizzagate, for example, you you do discuss these things. I, I think this is an interesting thing because I think it's that kind of goes back to the initial question that I had. I think it's difficult sometimes for us to differentiate between what is a theory of a conspiracy in the sense of where does something begin and end, and what is just a simple attempt to find an explanation for something that may not exist anywhere else. You know, there's there's a lot of random coincidences that people point to to explain the world around them. And I would maybe put the Moby Dick in a box in that position. <laughs> Whereas, you know, there are things that are, are being talked about, even in our body politic right now, about things that there are hidden hands behind levers of power and i'm referring most directly i guess to the idea that there's a deep state out there trying to take down our president could you could you discuss a little bit of the the difference between these things just for the layman here uh yeah um there are two conspiracy theories almost invariably take some sort of leap beyond where it needs to go for the explanation to make sense so a lot of times it's the accusation that there's some sort of conspiracy. And that can be as simple as, as bribery. Uh, a, a bribe is a conspiracy. Uh, and so it, it's not necessarily a, myster- a mysterious thing. It's not necessarily an esoteric thing. It's nothing that, that one needs to pay any attention to. The true conspiracy theories reject the accepted approach to understanding what's happening, they they assume that there is some sort of secret activity going on behind the scenes that uh, fools most of the people, but not them, and they make this intuitive leap to it. That's actually where we get groups like the Illuminati, uh, which did exist at the time in the 18th century, but there's there, it's, it's an intuitive leap that people make in order to, to add some sort of substance to their to their thinking. So is the let me let me just expand on this for a second. So, are you saying that a conspiracy theory comes in a sense out of somebody who is trying to, in a sense, appear more knowledgeable than other people, or more knowledgeable than he or she possibly could be? More, certainly more knowledgeable than those people, because it is axiomatic among conspiracy theorists that most of the public is being fooled or manipulated by the conspirators or their, their controlled media or the government or some combination of those things, whereas they themselves broken through this and are in a position to tell you what's really going on here. I think that's a that's a good point to to talk about the subtitle of the book, which is how delusions have overrun America. You you talk about or you write in the book that uh, 
there were certain things that happened, especially during the civil rights movement, things like uh, COINTELPRO and the Pentagon Papers, where major uh, domestic and foreign policy decisions were being made without the public's knowledge. So that uh, post-1950s, 1960s, the public was much more likely to believe that there was this hidden hand. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that change in mindset? Well, uh, it largely it was uh, a serious decline in the level of public, not just in government, but in institutions really across the board. And that's not gotten any better in recent years. But certainly in the late 1960s, the early 1970s, the things that you mentioned, such as the COINTELPRO, uh, the Tuskegee experiments, uh, the, the, well, the moon landing, for that matter, it, it became a popular culture sort of affair. You see a tremendous number of movies that have to do with conspiratorial themes showing up. It simply becomes part of people's routine thinking. Not that they believe the conspiracy, but it, it becomes something that's no longer a fringe matter, and that's largely because of, of the, the decline in public trust. Uh, and in, in recent years, that decline seems to have extended into the field such as uh, medicine, public health, so that many people won't vaccinate their kids, or they think that AIDS is a conspiracy, or they think that Ebola is a conspiracy. Any number of things uh, have, have grown out of that mistrust. Okay, this is a good one. We want to. Uh, we've got some recordings, obviously, as we do every week, and and I want to play a selection here from from Tom's book. Today, as always, the recordings are done by uh, Shannon Van Volt, but today the music is done by Micaiah McCrave and Courtesy of the International Anthem Recording Company. We're going to play this selection again. We're talking with the author Thomas Conda. He has written a brand new book, Conspiracies of Conspiracies: How Delusions Have Overrun America, and we will return to him live just after this segment. In several books, beginning in 1919 with The French Revolution, A Study in Democracy, Nesta Weber developed her belief in a long-standing, quote, coordinated and continuous conspiracy of Jews to destroy Christianity and dominate the world, end quote. Her early emphasis on the Illuminati and continental Freemasonry as agents of revolution slowly gave way to the idea of the Jewish peril, which she envisioned as a Kabbalah-based conspiracy whose forces had been, quote, gathering strength for an onslaught not only on Christianity, but on all moral and social order since the first century of the Christian era, end quote. Webster's Kabbalists used a succession of secret societies to obscure their role. By her own day, Webster claimed the influence of Jews in what she deemed the five great powers at work in the world, Freemasonry, Theosophy, Pan-Germanism, international finance, and revolution, could no longer be considered a matter of surmise, but a fact. Although others concerned about the Jewish peril usually ignored the first three of these great powers, the last two began to coalesce into a widely accepted vision of conspiracy. Many respectable British commentators had already accepted the Jewish peril in light of the Russian Revolution. Winston Churchill, a member of the Lloyd George government, questioned the loyalties of international Jews. The British government issued a booklet titled The Jewish Peril in 1920. At the same time, Howell Arthur Gwynn, editor of the Morning Post, collected into a book his writings on the Jewish peril. As judiciously as he could so as to skirt the obvious charge of anti-Semitism, Gwynn laid out his premise, quote, that there has been for centuries a hidden conspiracy, chiefly Jewish, whose objects have been and are to produce revolution, communism, and anarchy, by means of which they hope to arrive at the hegemony of the world by establishing some sort of despotic rule. The Jewish Bolsheviks are already today carrying out almost to the letter the program outlined in the protocols, end quote. The threat allegedly posed by Jewish Bolsheviks was not long in reaching the United States. Most famously, Henry Ford serialized and commented on the protocols in his newspaper, the Dearborn Independent, and collected the series into a book, The International Jew, The World's Foremost Problem. At the same time, however, the authenticity of the protocols had come under serious attack in at least three countries. One writer noted somewhat mockingly that, quote, the names of the elders of Zion are not given. The dates of their protocols are not given. The names of the assistants or followers to whom the protocols were addressed are not given. 
The names of the Jews who are to execute or have already executed the plotting's detail in the protocols are not, with the exception of Karl Marx, anywhere given. But the plot to wreck and conquer the world is given in full. A common reaction to the exposure of the protocols as fraudulent was to concede the possibility and move on, as Gwynne had done. The Christian Science Monitor editorialized that, for the present, it is sufficient to draw attention to the fact that these ideals keep reappearing with a curious and significant regularity at moments of great political commotion and exercising an extraordinary and appalling effect on world politics. Without actually using the word conspiracy, the Monitor did link the protocols to the naked theory of Adam Weishaupt. A Catholic Weekly similarly offered its view that the protocols may or may not be authentic before claiming that Jews had dominated the Bolshevik Revolution, as they did all revolutions, as well as the communist government of Russia. And as always, we want to thank our reader, Shannon Van Volt. That was a reading from Tom Condes, Conspiracy of Conspiracies. Tom, that's an interesting segment, and it brings us into our next kind of line of questioning. Um, the poor Jews seem to take it on the chin quite a bit in conspiracy theories. Why? We, we heard a little bit about where this came from with this fraudulent text that seems to have remarkable staying power, by the way, called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. What is it about um, the Jewish diaspora that raised, first of all, such paranoia and fear and gave rise to, to these very uh, difficult to stamp out um, ideas and memes? Well, of course, goes back a long, long time, much longer than conspiracy theory, in fact. But my argument is that the uh, the the sort of rise in anti-Semitism in the late 19th century, because of uh, greater levels of, of assimilation by Jews into society and uh, their being in. Colleges and, and the civil service and in the military for the first time, that that really became codified in these protocols, which really was an attempt to to lay out some sort of not only just a plot to take over the world, but to see themselves as some sort of well-oiled machine that that was capable of carrying out such a plot, as opposed to just individual people. And my argument is that since the protocols existed in that period in the early 1920s, that anti-Semites more or less are forced into a conspiratorial framework. It's such a powerful document shaping people's thoughts that it, it's hard it's been hard since the 1930s, anyway, to be an anti-Semite without also becoming a conspiracy theorist. I don't know if there are any more anti-Semites than there ever were, but nowadays they are, or then, have been conspiracy theorists with that sort of international financial conspiracy, the hidden hand behind government conspiracy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that... That has, has as much staying power as it has had, I think, because some of its com- the competitors, like the Freemasons, who at one time were a big threat in the conspiracy world, the Freemasons have sort of died out as a, as a threat. They, um, the Catholics, who were once big, have sort of died out as a threat. And we're left basically with some sort of unspecified elite uh, or some sort of globalist or something like that, which doesn't have much meaning, or the Jews. And, and so they're the only ones left in this vision of the world. That's that's a great point, many great points. And, you know, one of the big ones we have, uh, you know, the big conspiracies going on now and, and is uh, the George Soros uh, conspiracies where he's behind, you know, funding every possible liberal movement in America. And, and destabilizing the nation of Hungary, apparently. And destabilizing the nation of Hungary. I, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, another thing is, too, Mike and I have connections to Detroit, and uh, you know, my two partners on the show are both Jewish, so we're all familiar with, you know, Henry Ford was deeply anti-Semitic, uh, you know, was influenced by the, the protocols, and also had a newspaper called the International Jew. And uh, 
also apparently had a picture of Hitler hanging up in his office. And it's, you know, it's strange. We, we live in a time when there's so much uh, protest and backlash against uh, hate that, you know, that Ford hasn't been singled out as, as someone that we should be boycotting, too. Well, there, there have been boycotts of Ford for that reason. Uh, and, and you're quite right, except the newspaper was actually the Dearborn Independent of Dearborn, Michigan. They published the International Jew as a series, and uh, the protocols pretty much far and wide, and Ford was oh, basically publicly shamed and, and, and abused enough that he publicly recanted that there's a lot of debate over whether or not he really meant it. Uh, but those, those, I've seen the, uh, the, 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 his, his version of those protocols reprinted as, as recently as the 1970s. I'm sure they're still out there today. That's fascinating. And then you talk about in the book, too, that uh, between the 40s and 60s, you know, we went from uh, the anti-Semitic conspiracies and then right into the, uh, the Red Scare with McCarthyism. Do you, do you think there was a reason that, that there was a transfer from those particular things? I know we had a new enemy. Now it was Russia and communism, and that's always been something that, you know, that has been something that uh, Americans hate. And uh, I mean, not all Americans, but in general. But was there some kind of, um, you know, correlation from going from the anti-Semitic into the Red Scare? Kind of a religious transference over into political in a sense yes well jews were lumped in with the bolsheviks right of course yeah yeah uh yes well of course there's nothing more important in that regard than world war ii uh, as we fought against nazis and by the end of the war there was no mistake in the fact that nazis had tried to eliminate the jews there was a big push in the U.S. and a very successful one for greater levels of tolerance and uh, acceptance of one's fellow man and so forth and so on. And there was an effort to try to achieve a, a, a less parochial national outlook and more co- internationally cooperative. All of these things sort of combined to... Uh, Diminish the number of hardcore right-wing anti-Semitic people. So there were not as many. Um, so many conspiracy people started to just latch on to relatively abstract things. You mentioned George Soros. Basically, his predecessors, uh, like the Rockefellers, for instance, that's when they became... Uh, focal point, even though they themselves are not Jewish, the transition from the 1930s to the 1950s started to focus on them as some sort of global elite that is determined to undermine the sovereignty of America and and so forth and so on. Uh, so it was largely the reaction against uh, Nazism that damped down the anti-Semitism, at least for a while, Allowed the the idea of one worlders and internationalists and globalists to take over as the threat, and of course, within that context, there uh, there were actually of course the concept. Uh, I think it's important to mention that that probably most of the people who were strongly anti-communist were still not necessarily conspiracy theorists. They probably thought the communists were up to something. Of course, the communist put up is saying it's not much of a leap to get there. So it's, 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 it's uh, serious, but it's not necessarily conspiracy theory. That's been the case for almost every sort of particular uh, reaction against something from the anti-Catholics back in the 1840s to the populace through the Red Scare is that all of those uh, events had a conspiratorial part to them, but they weren't entirely conspiratorial. That's interesting, and, and there's a question here to be asked why conspiracies are so common on the right, but I want to put a pin in that. We're going to come back to it. I did want to ask before we go to our commercial break, 
why so many conspiracies, and again, particularly getting back to the the anti-Semitic ones, why is there so much concern with a mystical underpinning and, and almost a quasi-religious underpinning in some of these theories? I'm fascinated by the idea that to make these theories hold water, there had to be almost uh, references to very quasi-spiritual things. Can you, can you explain that a little bit? I wish I could. Uh, <laughs> I noticed this whole thing, and, and, and in fact I devoted part of one of the chapters just to background on that, because it, it just shows up much more than you think it would. It shows up uh, in, in, in the writings of people who seem like they would be very down-to-earth in some sort of racist way, but instead go off on these, these occult uh, Everybody knows that there was sort of an occult edge to Nazism, but there seems to be this sort of occult edge to a lot of this. Uh, the, the anti-Semites, the, the, most of the anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists virtually attribute supernatural powers to the Jews. And I don't mean that in any sort of trivial way. I mean, they really do. It's, it's, uh, um, there's, there's mind reading and, 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 and cosmic significance and other planes of existence and all sorts of things that pepper, especially right-wing conspiracy theories. But I, I truly, I've, I've read the psychological literature I've, I've seen that they find that same correlation. Exactly why that is, I do not know. Well, we're going to take a quick pause here on, on that note. We're speaking with uh, Tom Conda. He has written a book called Conspiracy of Conspiracies, How Delusions Have Overtaken America. It's out now from the University of Chicago Press. We're going to take a moment to thank the folks that make this station possible. We're going to hear another reading from Tom's book, and then when we come back, we're going to be speaking with the author. You are listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. It's Lumpen Radio. If you enjoy listening to I-94 and other programs like this on Lumpen Radio, please consider becoming a member today. More information is at lumpenradio.com. A peculiar event that occurred during the presidential transition period may illustrate how inferential and oblique rhetoric can build on social network conspiracism to create serious real-world problems. On December 4, 2016, a young man named Edgar Welch entered the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria in Washington, D.C., wielding a rifle to rescue, quote, child sex slaves he believed were being held there. Finding no captive children, Welch surrendered to police. Initially, the incident seemed inexplicable, even random, but was actually linked to a conspiracy spread by, among others, incoming National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who in November had tweeted, You decide. NYPD blows whistle on new Hillary emails, money laundering, sex crimes with children, etc. Must read. Flynn's tweet was too oblique to be held against him, but his son and chief of staff, Michael Jr., fared worse for his more direct tweet on the day of the incident. Quote, Until hashtag Pizzagate proven to be false, it'll remain a story. The left seems to forget hashtag Podesta emails and the many coincidences tied to it. End quote. Flynn Jr. lost his position on the transition team. What, exactly, either Flynn was talking about is not clear, and few could figure out the, quote, coincidences that linked a D.C. pizzeria, Clinton campaign manager John Podesta, and an imaginary pedophilia cult. News reports generally offered a brief explanation along the lines of national public radios, quote, Internet users have developed a wholly fictitious conspiracy theory that maintains Comet Ping Pong is the site of an international satanic child abuse cabal hosted by powerful Democrats, including Hillary Clinton. Speculation and fabrications tied to the bizarre conspiracy theory have been relentlessly circulated by politically motivated fringe sites, end quote. Which internet users fabricated this theory is rarely addressed. Flynn Sr.'s original tweet did not mention the pizzeria, but tagged alt-writer Mike Cernovich and his Danger and Play website, where connections were being bandied about. For example, an artist, Maria Abramovich, emailed lobbyist Tony Podesta, inviting him to a dinner party and asking if his brother John might like to come. Abramovich joked about her spirit cooking, a reference to her 1996 portfolio of prints of that title, which was an occult reference going back at least to the Victorian era's Aleister Crowley. 
Cernovich elaborated on the hidden meaning of the Cernovich elaborated on the hidden meaning of the invitation. Quote, Occult symbolism, as I've reported on extensively, is done openly to taunt the public. It's a form of power and control. Secret societies do not want to remain secret. Unquote. Cernovich's efforts were part of the larger network focused on satanic child abuse and bloody rituals. Some of the participants in that network interpreted other emails from John Protesta about pizza or pasta as coded messages. And, since Comet Ping Pong was Podesta's go-to pizza restaurant, others examined the images on the restaurant's menu and discovered coded pedophilia instructions, a long-standing and constant internet phobia. Soon, a 2010 internet frenzy that had tried to link both Bill and Hillary Clinton to child sex trafficking in Haiti was recycled to buttress the hashtag Pizzagate story. And welcome back. You are listening to I-94 here on Lumpen Radio on a Sunday morning. We're speaking with the author of Conspiracies of Conspiracies, How Delusions Have Overrun America. It is Tom Kahn. His book is out now from the University of Chicago Press. We just heard an excerpt uh, read by Shannon Van Volt with music by Micaiah McRaven. And it brings us to something that uh, Tom and us were talking about before the break. Tom, why is it that conspiracy theories, especially nowadays, seem to be so prevalent on the right wing uh, of American politics? People's uh, reasons for that, the reasons that people come up with, differ, but not that much. Uh, it's not necessarily a new thing. It seems to have been the case for quite some time. Uh, the reason given for it is usually that if you look at the, the right and the folks to the left, the right is, by its very nature, more likely to be upset with social change, uh, with new developments, uh, uh, especially those having to do with uh, economic changes, uh, social changes, improvements in the rights of others and whatnot. And I think you can see that easily enough today. Um, it's, not that, it's not that people on the left are immune to this. Thomas, you talk about in the book uh, about denialism, and it's used to differentiate between. There's a we need to differentiate the difference between that and conspiracy theories. Um, denialism is just simply not believing in things like vaccinations and climate change. But can you tell us about the roots of a uh, contemporary denialism, which you talk about um, with uh, the Robert Proctor and his his ideas about that? Uh, yeah, but I'm glad that you credited someone else there, because I picked up those ideas about denialism and tried to trace them back. It's a fairly natural thing that if you deny the, 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 the basically what you're denying is the 
official version of events. Uh, you're denying, not that vaccines exist, but you're denying that vaccines are necessary or you're denying what people normally think of vaccines as doing. Uh, and that puts you in, a, in an awkward position because typically the relevant authorities, public health authorities, the medical establishment and everything, will disparage what you have to say. You will be put in a, a, a bad light in the media and so forth and so on. And it's a fairly small person there to, to, to be wondering why are all the authorities trying to cover this up? Why are all the authorities trying to force this, uh, these vaccines on me if, in fact, as I believe, uh, they don't work? Uh, it leads to the questions that can be answered easily by positing a conspiracy. You see the same sort of thing with the UFO stuff. That was just probably the earliest manifestation. It's not quite a denialism because it was actually a belief in UFOs, but it was the denial of what the government was telling people that there were no UFOs, that it was swamped out, or that it was messing out of the it didn't help, of course, that the government was just being lying to the public. And when those lies were, were exposed, well, then, of course, people trust them and they tell them more, and then they ended up wondering, what are they really up to here? Yeah, and the UFO uh, example is an interesting one because there have been years and years and years of conspiracy theories about the existent, uh, existence of UFOs. Uh, but it does turn out that while some of the more outlandish theories about UFOs are uh, untrue, that there was actually a large amount of government data that was not being shared with the public. Which brings me to a, the question, has, in, in some cases, has the nature of modern governance and the security state led to the promulgation of conspiracy theories? Is this something that has uh, actually caused part of the problem in America? I believe that it has. I certainly cannot prove that it has, but I believe that it has. That's one example there. But the, the deep state conspiracy really got its start with early exposés of, of uh, things that the, the security agencies, the CIA, the NSA or whatnot, had actually done. There were mind control experiments. Uh, there, there were... Uh, secret missions that were undertaken and so forth. There, there, there were all sorts of things that the, the government wasn't that uh, trying to mislead the Soviets with regard to our weapons and thus clouding the issue on UFOs. There have been many ways, certainly in the 1950s and 60s, and by the end of the 60s, it started to catch up with the government in a big way, so that, for instance, the we got one more example. Many, many people have refused to believe to this day that there are not uh, EOWs and MIAs still held in Southeast Asia. Even the government investigated that and investigated it and investigated it again. But if you come at those investigations with a sense that the government will always lie to cover up its own malfeasance, then you're not going to believe it. And that's not even to mention the Warren Report. I uh, I was talking with a few coworkers this week about the show we were uh, we were doing today on conspiracies, and and I think at least the people I'm around, the people in around my age in their 30s, the I guess millennials you would call them, are more seem to be more. Um, I don't know if you want to say susceptible or more likely to believe receptive. conspiracies. Yes, more receptive to. Uh, this kind of thinking, and not necessarily conspiracy theories as Thomas defines them, but just conspiracist thinking, like uh, you could call them fans of Thomas Pynchon novels, I think. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of, the, one of the co-workers had served in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, and uh, we were talking about the 9-11 conspiracy theories, and he had mentioned some documentary called Loose Change. I, I wasn't able to see it, but, you know, apparently there are some compelling theories and video footage that that explain some kind of conspiracies. And, and Tom, you cover a couple of those in the book. But one thing he said was, um, this is the vet, he said, uh, it doesn't really matter 
you know what the explanation is it it happened and i lived through the consequences my life is completely different because of the event itself no matter whether it was there was conspiring behind the scenes and i want to link that to your subtitle do you think are you implying that delusions have overrun america in the sense that uh people who believe these conspiracy theories are going to make social change for the worse in the country or that it just kind of fizzles out people's thinking. They get lazy and are more ready to accept uh, far-fetched coincidences rather than seek out information and facts for themselves. There's a lot in there, but I'll go with all of the above. Um, I, I take the view that there are several areas in which the prevalence of conspiratorial thinking, as, as you rightly call it, uh, I tend to call it conspiracism, the, the psychologists call it conspiratorial ideation, but it's just the propensity to think of in conspiracies. It's become a regular thing now. Whereas once it was so marginal, many people would have been simply unfamiliar with it. Now everybody knows about it. Even everybody knows the sorts of jokes that can be told on late-night TV about the Illuminati. It's, it's just part of our, our collective thought processes now. And, and because of that, it's, it's, uh, it's almost getting to be sort of an ideological perspective. It's certainly it's uh, a middle framework that people just automatically apply whenever something seems mysterious. They think it could be a conspiracy and they're thinking conspiracy theory. I think that it does harm in a lot of ways with the... We never got to the bottom of what happened in the 9-11 attack in the sense that there were supposed to have been two investigations. We only got one of them because the other one was essentially beaten to death by uh, by conspiracy people who would not accept the conclusions and just made such a uh, a mess of it that they, 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 the group under, I think it was former Representative Lee Hamilton of Indiana, uh, just abandoned the entire second half of their, um, their, their investigation. Uh, it's spread out into other areas that are also very troubling. The climate change stuff is very troubling. The fact that people simply will not believe in climate change most of that is backed up by real conspiracy theories about global elites and George Soros and their agenda to create some sort of environmentally pure world for their own benefit, even if it means uh, eliminating most of the people on the face of the earth. These things are, are they're weird. But they, they keep bleeding over. And I think the most obvious example, most recently, is that it's got to be the measles epidemic that is just popping up because people won't have their children vaccinated. There's nothing else there but conspiracy theory. That's, that's all that's going on there. And the thing that really worries me, although it's, it's, it's very sporadic, is the fact that there are still those people who will, every couple of, three or three times a year, just go off on a feeding spree and kill a bunch of people in Christchurch, New Zealand, or in, in Florida or someplace. And if you examine those in, in great detail, you'll find that overwhelmingly those people, maybe without exception, those people are working on the basis of some sort of deep-seated conspiracy that they have come to hold. Well, that they're brings... themselves. They're victims in a way. Like that, like that boy who went to the Comet Ping Pong Pizza to rescue the little children being held by the, by the, the pedophilia ring that was run by Hillary Clinton. All that business is just insane, but that guy did show up at the Ping Pong Pizza with his, with his uh, gun in order to try to rescue little children. And I, I believe a lot of this has to do with the, the rise of technology. We've always had people with uh, crackpot theories, conspiracy theories, you know, things that were potentially dangerous. And now we have this venue for individuals, you know, some of the Breitbart is just 
sopping wet with conspiracy theories. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of places for, you know, neo-Nazis and anti-vaccinators and, and, you know, all kinds of things. And I, I think that, you know, now they have a voice and now they have a venue and you can be anonymous. And I think that makes things a lot more dangerous than it was probably, you know, 30 years ago when they didn't have this, because now you can communicate with people all over the world with these ideas and, you know, plan things. And, and you know, you were talking about mass shootings and things like that. I, I think it's much easier to uh, coordinate these things. Well, even if they're not coordinated, it's just getting it out there. You're quite right. Y'all mentioned that you were in your 30s. I'm in my 70s, and I've been dealing with this in a way for quite a long time. And I can remember at one time, if you wanted to try to get the word out like this, you had to have a mimeograph machine, and you had to actually crank out those old-timey mimeographs with that blue ink and bind them together into a little booklet. And I used to get those booklets and, and from people that were, were putting them out in 1969, say, or 1971. But that was a lot of work, and you had to have a lot of commitment, and you had to have some technical expertise. And now there's, there's literally an infinite amount of stuff just on YouTube. Literally infinite, because if you try to, to look at it all, it loads up faster than you can look at it, so it will go on forever. Um, but yes, I think the technology, and, and people more technologically savvy than me are looking at this, and, and as far as I can tell, they agree that that situation is only going to get worse. We've been speaking today with Thomas Conde. He's the author of Conspiracies of Conspiracies, How Delusions of Overrun America. We're almost out of time here, and I wanted to ask one final question uh, to you, Tom. We have a very unusual uh, president at the moment who has made, uh, whose staff members and, and himself have made a habit of uh, circulating conspiracy theories. Is this seems unprecedented to me, frankly, uh, but has this kind of elevation of fringe ideas to uh, a mainstream uh, radically changed uh, how conspiracy theories are consumed and accepted in American culture? I think that it, it has. I think that it, it will continue to do so. So I actually anticipate that, that it will get worse in that regard. Um, the, the, the fact that as people in power get, well, as people get into positions of power who are conspiratorial in their framework, and they will just idly toss off things that are conspiratorial, for instance. Uh, because not only was Trump a, a birther uh, going through that entire Barack Obama birth conspiracy, but he's been on the radio just talking off things like maybe Justice Scalia was assassinated. It's just off the top of his head. And then to some degree, because of the person's position, it has to be taken somewhat more seriously. It has to be bandied about by the press. It has to be talked about to some degree. And, and then, of course, that just gives it more legs in the business. We've been speaking with the author, uh, Tom Conda. Once again, his book is Conspiracy of Conspiracies, How Delusions Have Overrun America. It is out now from the University of Chicago Press. As always, we want to give him the last word, so we're going to close with a final reading from his book. Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. It's been my pleasure. We'll be back next week with a fresh episode. Right now, we're going to say uh, goodbye for now. Finally, here's a reading from Tom Conda's Conspiracy of Conspiracies. The bulk of the news about science denialism in recent years has focused on two issues, climate change and vaccines. But conspiracy theories about science and the scientific establishment are long-standing and have touched on every scientific discipline. Even without going back to the scope's quote-unquote monkey trial of evolution, or the fluoride scare of the 1950s, or the moon landing hoax, not that any of these had disappeared, conspiracy buttress denials of accepted science are easy enough to find. Many of them are perpetuated by relatively small groups of people with some idiosyncratic belief. Some spring from larger conspiracy theories. Former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura is among those who believe that the federal government's secret germ warfare lab on Plum Island in Long Island Sound is the source of Lyme disease, 
Doing his best to elaborate a conspiracy theory, Ventura challenged his readers to, quote, guess who was responsible before revealing that it was, quote, a former top Nazi scientist named Eric Traub who'd been brought to the U.S. under top-secret Project Paperclip. This was the start of the Cold War, and the idea was to grab these Dr. Strangelove types before the Soviet Union did. Traub had formerly worked under Heinrich Himmler, who ran Hitler's SS, and he'd been lab chief at a secret Nazi biowarfare lab looking into animal diseases. That seems to have been the model for Plum Island, end quote. Health entrepreneur Mike Adams used the news coverage of dangerous levels of lead in the drinking water of Flint, Michigan, to tout his own study free from, quote, all corporate money, government influence, and all the blind, obedient, consensus science narratives that only end in stupidity, end quote. Adams' study found that Obama's EPA had poisoned an estimated 10 million Americans with brain-damaging contaminants. Not surprisingly, Adams is also a leading conspiracist in the anti-GMO movement, which was embraced by 2016 Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein. Among those who believe that the CERN Large Hadron Collider near Geneva has opened a portal to a parallel universe, some suspect that this was the secret goal all along. But the interpretation pales in comparison to the conspiracists who claim that CERN is a continuation of the Illuminati's Project Bluebeam, a cosmic light show so compelling that it will eliminate all resistance to the Antichrist New World Order. There is much discussion online of the conspiracy to control the weather, including the government's creation of synthetic snowstorms to distract people from, quote, big government tyranny. Tesla's followers continue to reveal the widespread conspiracy to suppress his electrogravitic technology, and Donald Zaidudi's The Sagan Conspiracy, NASA's untold plot to suppress the people's scientists' theory of ancient aliens speaks for itself. is Lumpin' Radio's books and literature program, airing every Sunday at 11 a.m. Central. This episode featured Thomas Milan Kanda, author of Conspiracies of Conspiracies, How Delusions Have Overrun America, out now from the University of Chicago. This episode originally aired on May 12, 2019. I-94 is a Lumpin' Radio production, with readings by Shanna Van Bolt, show intro and promo voiced by David Green, music by Laurie Johnson and Bill Bennett from the KPM Archive. For more information on I-94 and for past episodes, visit EYE94.org. For more information on Lumpin' Radio, visit lumpinradio.com.